Pilgrims, Guy Adami here, 1 p.m. Eastern time, market call. That's Dan Nathan, all in black. Johnny Cash. I went to the Johnny Cash Museum mm. with my wife in the spring in Nashville, Tennessee. I endorse it. I think everyone should go. The man in black. I will say that Joaquin Phoenix, I believe that's his name, uh, his portrayal of uh, Johnny Cash was he should have won an Oscar for that. I don't know how he didn't. I think Reese Witherspoon. Uh, might have won something, but I digress as I typically do. Uh, this market call, Dan, brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. They also happen to be our data provider. In literally nine seconds, because that's the type of show today is, we're going to bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting because he's got it all going on, Dan. Yeah, he does. And just by the way, this is navy blue. I was wearing black, oh. I think, yesterday. It's fine, right. guy. You yeah, know, you're right. colorblind a little yeah, bit well, here. Um, well, I mean, you know. Let, 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 let's bring Carter in right out of the gate here. Yeah, because, bring him again, in. Kind of like we're, get, we're getting into the thick of earnings here, and Carter spent a lot of time doing a lot of work on Microsoft this week, and we want to talk about that a little bit. CBW, welcome to the opening of Market Call. How are you, bud? Hi there. Good. I'm good. How's that? Let, 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 let's do this really quickly because I think this is important. You know, we have a, um, a, a few day chart here of Microsoft and you saw the stock was rallying into its print here after the close. You know, we were dissecting the report guy on Fast Money last night in that five o'clock hour and we saw the stock up 4%. I think you and I were both saying, I, you tweeted, it was a great tweet. He's like, wait for the conference call. You didn't even say what stock... And what you were talking about, we talked about Microsoft yesterday. I think both of you, both of us thought that if the stock were to rally, we thought that it would probably get sold at that downtrend. Well, when the company came out with the guidance, you see that it reversed that entire aftermarket move. And it was trading down 4% earlier today. It's rallied back. Carter, talk to us a little bit because I think this is really interesting, you know. I obviously one of the first things that I read every day is uh, your uh, your worth charting note on Monday's top of mind subscriber video. You spent the whole topic you spent the whole video on microsoft and then yesterday in your institutional catching up with carter call all you did was focus on microsoft why was microsoft so important to you and then i want to get guys take a little bit because nostradami was at it yesterday after the call uh and uh saying this thing was going to fail right so um let's see uh, typically uh, we try to cover multiple subjects as as the three of us do here and you do uh, every day but uh, when i'm um when something's particularly important uh microsoft being the second largest stock and it did out of earnings i thought it would uh, make it the single subject of focus not only for the worth charting subscriber uh, midnight video but the following morning on tuesday for institutional clients and and what the uh, the point of that was obviously it's important stock obviously it's uh, waiting in the S&P, but also just how bad its setup was. And so uh, with a little bit of luck, the stock is down. But here's the thing. At this point, you have a whole plethora of circumstances, individuals who were long or got long right after the print and now have a massive mistake on their hands. People who after it printed didn't do anything. And then when it was down this morning, shorted it. They got a mistake on their hands. Now it's rallied back. This is a treacherous kind of moment. I think the takeaway, regardless of the fact that it was up four or five after the print, that it was down four or five percent today, now basically on the real takeaway is forget about all of that. From here, is this an interesting circumstance? Is there immediate upside potential or downside risk? No, it's 
we've we've got the facts. There's been price discovery, people buying up four or five percent, people selling down four or five percent. And now the truth is this is sort of a dull dead asset. Would you go and commit a big amount of capital? Say, I gotta get long here, based on what? Or this is it, man. Short this thing. Based on what? Right now, there's no trade. This is what a pair of twos is. Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. I I, I happen to agree with that. I mean, I think. First of all, shorting stocks is always a difficult thing. We actually talked about it on Market Call yesterday. We thought that sort of $12 move that you outlined in terms of a 5% move based on what the options were saying could take us up to 250 which would take us right to the downtrend line. And that sort of did play out. And we also said, you know, wait for the conference call. The only reason I would have even known to say that is because back in June, when they reported, I think it was June 16th or thereabouts. Don't at me if I'm wrong by a couple of days. But the knee-jerk reaction was to take the stock down significantly, I think to the tune of about 4 or 5%. And then the conference call happened and we were off to the races. So I thought you could see similar yesterday, only reverse. You know, you could see that upside move off the initial earnings release, only to be followed by a sell-off during the conference call. And that's what we saw. In terms of how you're trading the stock going forward, I understand that most people are going to play things from the long side. I just don't think it's worth being long the name right here. If you really listen to the call and listen to some of the things that were said, and again, listen to the comments that Satya Nadella made a couple of weeks ago uh, in India on CNBC Asia that you had actually listened to and talked about, it doesn't pay, paint a particularly rosy picture. And even with today's move, even at the trough of today's move on valuation, it's still an expensive stock. Yeah. So here we are. We're in the middle of this fiscal 2023, um, you know, year for Microsoft here. And, you know, we're expecting high single digits um, earnings and sales. And it's expected to or it's trading about 25 times. I mean, to me, that seems really expensive. I, I said, said this yesterday. I think that before it's all said and done, the stock probably gets back towards 200. Carter, walk us through the charts. You brought some with you on the Microsoft here. And again, right now it might be a pair of twos but if you're in my camp where you think that there's going to be further deceleration in some of their really key businesses the things that are allowing it to have this very premium multiple to the market and many of its mega cap tech peers um you know i just don't think this is a one quarter event and you know my friend doug cass and i were texting um or or we were dming um he mm. slid into mine and then i came back to his um this morning you know he he brings up this point and i've made this point a lot too is that you know in the dot-com bus you know a lot of people thought that some of these bigger names were going to be immune to some of the just the wreckage that you know for these non-profitable names right that were serving a lot of startups and the like and you know and again you know those names ended up getting hit as the second derivative when all of those companies went out of business or they slashed budgets that sort of thing and we might see that in 2023 um, for a name like microsoft we might see that weakness in AWS over there at Amazon. You see that the knee-jerk reaction was for Amazon to be down 3% also. So, Carter, walk us through a little bit of Microsoft and where you see this thing playing out. Again, maybe it's not a trade right here, but what are yeah. the charts telling you in the balance of this year? Well, that's right. So in terms of the longer time frame, there's uh, every possibility and uh, opportunity to bet short, to be underweight. But I thought uh, we could just draw the lines. Now, one would agree that up is up and down is down. If we, if no one can agree on that, then obviously it's a trip to the ophthalmologist, right? We know that the stock was in an uptrend, as annotated there, and there is the downtrend. Let's toggle back and forth, uptrend, downtrend. So put them all together. Now we combine them. Okay, generally speaking, well, you don't have to ascend or descend in a channel. That is the case for Microsoft, and we're sort of just sitting here, hence the pair of two's judgment. But what is not 
a judgment, which is factual, we're still in that downtrend, right? And so the question is, I think it's either no discernible trade here or have a longer term view as you're uh, articulating, Dan, to basically be not in the stock. Now, this is a relative chart. So this is Microsoft's relative performance to the XLK. Now, look how bad that is. This basically it peaked three years ago. It's rolling over. Let's put a trend line in instead. So instead of using the moving average, toggle, right? Trend line, moving average, trend line. has all the elements of a bullish to bearish reversal, a big mm -hmm. rolling over. And again, that's Microsoft to its peers, XLK, of which it's the second biggest weighting, along with Apple and, and other big names. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, again, I just go back to valuation. You know, still, listen, I, I've said this. I believe it. I think it's one of the three, if not, you know, three or four most important companies in the world in terms of their businesses and, and who they touch. And to your point, Dan, it's not just a one quarter thing. I mean, typically the, the, typically the cycles are pretty long for names like this. And when things start to turn lower, it lasts for a significant period of time. And it's interesting, Senator Geary here, if you want to pull up 105, by the way, always good to have Geary. Google's a bigger story than Microsoft down way more. Here's my pushback. I think most of the Google thing to a certain extent is Google specific. Microsoft is such a important company in terms of all the industries that it touches and in terms of what it's telling you about the economy. That's the reason why I sort of harp on Microsoft, Dan. Yeah, I guess the other point is that when you think about Google, they have their Google Cloud. They have a lot of these kind of, um, you know, the productivity tools too, right? And so, you know, Microsoft is seeing that slow too. And Google is a huge, you know, um, you know, they, they, they service a, a lot of very similar companies like we just described that, you know, are kind of likely see, you know, budget cuts and they're cutting workers. And so when you think of like, you know, kind of cloud-based services, they're going to get hit too. So I think Geary makes a good point there um so we'll just throw all those names into the mix here carter your note out this morning caught our attention you said get your popcorn it's showtime here you're looking at the s p 500 um you know again we've had what 15 percent of the s p 500 earnings um and if microsoft I think at least as far as the expectations in the print, the stock ran up uh, into it. And then you just saw after the close, people wanted to be positive. But then when they got the guidance, the realization is that it's going to be a tough slog. Talk to us how this resolves itself in the S&P 500. You've been charting this year. We know that the, we've had a series of uh, lower highs. We've also now had a uh, you know, a higher low here in the S&P 500. So we're making a little bit of a flag or a pennant or something like that formation. Talk to us about the S&P 500. Sure. So it, it represents almost a perfect instance of equilibrium where buyers and sellers are matched off. No one is in the ascendancy, typically, right? In a big bull phase, bulls are in control in the ascendancy. In a bear phase, the bears are in control. And now we have equilibrium. And, and in many ways, it could just be that the market belongs here. But if you look at these lines, they are very precise. Look at some arrows if we put these in just to annotate it. Uh, I mean, we're at the end of the runway. There's no more time here, right? And so even sideways would resolve it in the sense that if you keep going sideways, you will be outside of the apex of the formation. My own bias or hunch is that we go lower, we break to the downside. But I think really it gets back to, and I'll just repeat myself because it's sometimes you can, it's, it's choose your own adventure, which do you think? But I think, again, 85 to 95% of the odds Sideways to down captures 85 to 90%. The case for up it, it seems muted. And here's the other thing. You often get bull traps. Let's say we go above the line a little bit. Oh, oh. And you draw a lot of people only to have it crap out, as the expression goes in 
the casino. I, I just don't see up and up meaningfully as a scenario that's likely. So sideways to down, I think, captures the preponderance of the odds. I'm with, um, listen, I'm with Carter. I think we've been pretty um, clear on that. This is this pennant formation. And listen, you could see sort of that false breakout. We've seen it happen in other things before. And I think you'd probably suck a lot of people in. But, you know, the importance of Microsoft cannot be understated. Obviously, we're going to hear some from some other companies as well. Uh, the market's still expensive. And on top of that, you know, we had Marco Klonovic on last night on Fast Money, who, you know, people will say that he's another one of the perma bulls out there. It's factually inaccurate. But, you know, he had been bullish for a period of time. I mean, that was about, Dan, as cautious as, well, it's probably about as cautious as he's ever been since we've known him in the market. And you think about the role that he plays at the bank that he works for, J.P. Morgan, to make a call like that, and uh, in a word, is pretty ballsy. So, you know, I yeah. think you have to listen to what a lot of these folks are saying. Yeah, well, listen, you know, make no mistake about it. While I also lean uh, to the downside here and position that way, it's kind of been a little bit of painful. I think many of our market call viewers know that I've kind of detailed a handful of my bearish trades in the options market over the last couple of weeks, and and basically all of them um, are losing. I do have, I detailed a QQQ uh, put spread in February expiration. I was looking at the 285, 260 put spread. It cost me a little less than five bucks. That's a 25 wide, and that's 20 percent of the width and so that one's a little bit in the money now with this thing i'll just say this though i mean the microsoft action i mean microsoft could close unchanged on the day that's not bearish i mean let, let's just be clear the company like narrowly beat lowered guidance and then they guided lower and the stock has been you know in a, a big range you know since the aftermarket and then this morning the fact that it's down less than one percent is 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 not bearish in my opinion that's not bearish price action so the qqq though though to me is the one that i kind of want to lean on it just feels a bit heavier especially when you look at the knock-on effect of like a google down three percent and still down three percent today um all right real quickly carter before we uh get you out of here we appreciate your time with us today tesla um last week before it really took off you made a bullish call there you thought it was a little overdone here walk us through that reports after the close tonight we know that there's a i don't know i want to say like six or seven percent implied move there's there's news hitting the tape right now the wall street journal is reporting that elon musk the ceo of tesla who's also the ceo um, and sole essential owner of twitter um, is looking to raise three billion in fresh uh, equity for Twitter to pay down that debt. And so I guess the perceive like the perception here is that that the more equity he could raise to pay down the debt that he is on the hook for at a company that is declining, that's the less likelihood that he is going to have to sell Tesla stock, which has been weighed, you know, obviously it's been weighing. He's been selling billions of dollars worth of stock over the last couple of months. Talk to us about the technical setup and then guy, let's me and you kind of kick around what we think happens as far as their earnings, their guidance, and what's in the stock from a fundamental standpoint. Sure. So, well, to be fair, uh, you know, uh, not such a great call. I mean, this was a short for us up uh, in the 280-300 range, and that was stuck with that. At 138, we flipped that around and said, let's go long. It went as low as 104. Now we're back at 144, a little above where that uh, – here's the question. It's a very well-defined trend line. You can see it. Do we break above it? Do we breach it? Or do we falter? I think we go above. Let's look at the next uh, iteration here on the chart. You have a minor head and shoulders bottom. That's the reversal. You can draw the lines a different way. You can see this. We've, we have this tighter and tighter sort of coiling. I think we get a pop, and that could well be the end of, of the ricochet. My hunch is that the ricochet, in effect, since the low of 104, uh, has room to run. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Dan. I, you know, I don't know 
necessarily if fundamentals really matter all that much. But I think what does matter in terms of Tesla is the market sentiment without question. You know, on the way down, I think a lot of people realize that, wait a second, even though I didn't realize I was long Tesla, you know, vis-a-vis the fact that I'm in these mutual funds and these index funds, I actually am long Tesla and they felt the pain. So I think a lot of people woke up to the fact that Tesla was down some 65 or so percent from its all-time high. I think the bounce has sort of assuaged some concerns, but I think it's somewhat short-lived. Now, Carter might be spot on here. You know, you might get that blow-off top, which sounds ridiculous given the huge sell-off we have, but you might see that sort of exuberance post-earnings. I do think it'll be short-lived. So the way I would trade it, Dan, um, is if, in fact, that happens, if you get that exuberance, I think you lay into it if you're long, maybe sell the double. But if somehow it fails here and they put out some disaster, I think it's almost a foregone conclusion that we take out that sort of 108 level or the 103 or 108 level that we recently bottomed out at. Yeah, and I'll just say this. So the implied move in the options market is nearly 9% in either direction. So the at-the-money straddle, we went over this yesterday. If you took the 144 call premium, the 144 put premium in the weeklies, you add it together, you get about 13 bucks. You divide that by the strike, you get about 9%. So that's what you would need in either direction if you just wanted to be long the move. And then 4.5% in either way, if you just wanted to pay $6.5 basically for the put or the call, it doesn't seem like that would be that hard if you're convicted. Did, right. If you thought this stock was going to rip, um, you know, risking about six and a half percent, that's a binary trade here. You know, as far as the fundamentals are concerned, I just think that, um, you know, China is a real problem for them. I think that they have less than 10 percent market share of the EV space over there. They have some huge Chinese competition um, and obviously they're reliant on the Chinese for manufacturing Shanghai Giga. They need rare earth materials over there to for the battery. I mean, the list goes on and on here, but that doesn't mean the stock can't continue to rally because it seems like you know like every headline in the last two weeks has been a positive headline after two months of just disastrous headlines you know the stock got cut in half i think from you know november um down to its lows i think it got to a 102 or so so to me this isn't kind of a no touch at these levels i am long puts they are basically worthless i was a little too early in this trade um but again i'd really like to see what they have to say i and i i know this is going to sound controversial i just don't think they're going to be honest about their guidance um given what we think is going on with the global economy. And I know that all those price cuts that we saw in China that can't speak to the fact that there's tremendous demand over there. And I think they're going to have increasingly composition um, over here in the U.S. But to me, I don't know, maybe I'll put something on that's uh, risking what I'm willing to lose. Carter Braxtonworth, thanks so much, man. All that heavy lifting on Microsoft, S&P, QQQ, and Tesla. We will check back with you very soon. Thanks, bud. We appreciate it. Talk soon. Bye. All right, guy. Let's just put a bow. By the way, it's great seeing the three of you. The the OG. What do they call the like original gangsters or something? Yeah, OGs. We were Mike Co. Myself and Carter were on Options Action Friday afternoon. I have not been on that show in a little more than three years, but we were all on that show together for ten years. Carter and Mike still do it with Melissa Lee. They do a great job. It was my sincere pleasure to be back on with them for a Friday. Let's put a let's just put a bow on this Tesla thing. And I think it's interesting guy that this literally just broke this news from the wall street journal that supposedly elon musk is looking to raise three billion dollars he was on the hook for maybe 13 billion or so in debt he was selling a ton of tesla stock okay so that's in twitter a ton of tesla stock to help fund the closing of that deal from a few months ago um you know the stock he was selling it down i mean like you know again like look at how aggressively he had been selling the stock there was rumors 
in the information that the quarter revenues were down 40% for this is for Twitter. Twitter, yeah. I have a company, okay? Um, and so, again, if they were going to miss those debt payments because they can't cover that, he's going to actually have to take down that debt. So there's a couple ways you could do it. He could sell stock in Tesla, right? Or you can try to raise equity in Twitter. But the point is, if you have stock, if you have revenues down 40% a quarter, I mean, what do you think that equity is worth? He paid $44 billion for this company, 13 of it being in debt. A lot of people thought the right number was closer to $14 billion. Um, and, and, you know, who knows what it, it really comes down to, what, you know, <clears throat> what will the market price it at in the private market, right? I have no idea, but it certainly is not going to be at the level that he bought the company for. And he's gotten himself, you know, it's one of those things. Um, there's no clear path out as far as I can tell. I'm not a banker. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't do debt capital markets, but it's clear that this is somewhat problematic. So, to your point about not being able to make the debt payments, something has to be done. And one has to wonder, you know, what levers are left to be pulled. So, you know, we're not bearish in Tesla. I don't, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but at the sake of being bearish, what I'll say is, you know, we got resoundingly bearish in the stock Tesla when the first uh, foray into Twitter came across the newswire. And I think it happened yeah. during Fast Money one night, and that's been the right course of action. And, you know, this 40% or so rally off the bottom, notwithstanding, the stock is certainly not out of the woods yet, in my opinion. Yeah, listen, you know, you, you just made a really good point. I've gotten dozens um, and maybe hundreds of tweets of people saying, you just hate Elon, it's this, it's the politics, this, or whatever. No, man, I mean, like, that's the point. Like, like, like when, when, when he bought the hubris that he was going to pay $44 billion himself to buy this asset that was not worth, to your point, $20 billion, and, and, and I said it that time in April on Fast Money. I said, Tesla shareholders are on the hook for this, okay? That was a massively, massively bearish thing for this whole story. And when you think about the competition, you think about the potential for a recession, you think about interest rates going up, the list goes on and on and on. So I remain bearish. I think we were right over the last year. I was wrong the year on the lead up to it, but I think I'm going to remain being right here. I'm going to keep kind of trading this thing from the short side. So it is what it is. All right, here's a text or a, a tweet from somebody, guy, Hank. It's uh, Hank. Yeah, somebody. He says, I know you guys lean bearish, <clears throat> but this morning's 200-day moving average test is not bearish behavior. Actually, the way it's recovering now is hard not to be bullish, and we are no longer overbought. That's fine. We just recognize that. We we, we agree with you. The price action, um, you know, we're saying it. I mean, I'm not going to turn my positioning just because, um, you know, the S&P touched a couple lines here and there. I want to continue to see what the fundamentals. And the fundamentals, and this is really important, guys, so let's talk about this, Okay. This is Charlie Bolello. He's kind of, uh, you know, if we throw this slide up right here, he's talking about all these different um, commodity prices, and these are big inflationary inputs. And so you see where commodities are, uh, the changes year over year. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I was in that transitory camp. Um, I was wrong. The Fed was wrong. I mean, really defense, depends in 2021 what your definition was of transitory. I think if you look at all this, it's pretty clear. It was transitory. It just happened to go longer, you know, than people thought and i guess what you would say is the fed's problem was is that they stayed easy 
too easy in the monetary um, you know, policy in light of that here, okay? And so, again, it's just semantics, but the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of this sort of economic inputs that are suggesting that things are getting a bit easier. So maybe the Fed's been winning, and you've actually given them credit for staying the course mm-hmm. and getting to nearly 5% in Fed funds and doing the job that they're meant to do. Yeah, I listen, I agree with that. I mean, are they winning? I, you know, I don't know what winning looks like. Unfortunately, I think winning will be having to break a few things along the way, but in terms of the input costs, things are trending their way. Good for them for finally acknowledging that there was, in fact, a problem. It just took too long. You know, I never got into the transitory commentary because it's such a bullshit word if you think about it, because there's no everybody's time duration is different depending yeah. on what you're looking at. I mean, and, and if you really want to get down to brass tacks, to your point, by the definition of the word, they were right. It was, in fact, transitory. Unfortunately, I think their version of transitory at the time was just a couple of months. It obviously lasted a lot longer. But with that said, I mean, I don't think, and other people have pointed this out, and I'm not an economist, but I just don't think we have f- felt nearly the effects of this tightening cycle at all. And I think we're just starting to see it in terms of some of the commentary you're hearing out of companies and some of the layoffs around the edges. I mean, you mentioned Triple M yesterday, but it's happening all around. And again, that does not turn on a dime either. And it typically gets worse before it gets better, which again, begs the question, what's the right multiple in this environment and what are earnings going to be? And that's not me just saying it. That's people like Mike Wilson, you know, and that's people like last night when we heard from Marco. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. I think if you just do the math on this thing, a reasonable level in the S&P 500 is in fact 3,400. And then we'll see if you get an overshoot. The fact that the market is holding in here absolutely is impressive. I'm not sure really why that is, but yes, I'll tip my cap. It's been impressive price action over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And I, I think the main point there is that unemployment, and we're still at that kind of three and a half percent bound. That's the pre-pandemic lows. That's a four year low. And so if we see that starting to tick up meaningfully, that will suggest that a recession is probably much more likely than that soft landing consensus narrative that's been building of late as the stock market's been rallying. I just want to pull up the Bloomberg Commodity Index here, because to me, this is a horrible looking chart. And we know that, you know, you can see what what makes up this thing. It's a lot of crude, it's natural gas, it's some um, industrial commodities here but it's below that uptrend that's been in place since the start of 2021. You know, that it had that retest of the downtrend. It looks like it's going to be rejected there. So that's one to keep an eye on. And again, you would say, is that bullish? I don't know. You might ask that question. You might say it's really deflationary also, right? And so maybe that is speaking to weak uh, demand, right? So who knows where we are right there? But I want to get your your quick take on this one, guy. This is from Lisa Abramovitz over at Bloomberg. And she tweeted this yesterday, and somebody highlighted this to me, and I saw this yesterday. But the Bloomberg U.S. Financial Conditions Index ended yesterday at the most positive level since February. On one hand, this shows a shift in sentiment that's helping uh, to uh, thaw previously frozen capital markets. And on the other, uh, this was a concern that the Fed is still facing off with high inflation. That's right. The exact point that you've been making here. And again, this is the battle that's going to play out between the economy and the markets. And why do we bring some of this stuff every day? Maybe it seems a bit redundant. because That's how we're going to figure the path out of this bear market is just kind of getting some of these inputs right that's exactly right and again picture worth a thousand words correct i mean things are better but when things get better it makes their job more difficult so you know just it's a, it, i hate that expression but it's sort of the whack-a-mole thing you know maybe they fix one problem but by fixing one two more emerge and i think this chart or graph or whatever it is speaks to exactly that and that's the concern that i have that once the market even sniffs that they're done or they're going <clears> to 
<clears throat> take their foot off the gas, personally, I think it's going to unleash another wave of inflation that they're subsequently going to have to combat. And I think they understand that yeah. as well, which is why they're so steadfast and dogmatic in their views. Real quick, um, sorry about this, Dan, but somebody's asking me, and maybe we can pull it up. I think it was, what's his name? Cult Matrix. Matrix just asked, what's my, if you can pull this up, what's my secret recipe in my uh, sauce? I don't know if we can get that up. I know he's, he's asking me to do, pull a Clemenza here. But I'll tell you, a little red wine and a little bit of sugar. And that's my trick. Back to you, Dan. Oh, I love it, man. Um, that's great. And you've never made that Sunday sauce for me. No, Maybe I'll that's, get that's, invited. That's patently false. Actually, I will tell you that my, the sauce that I make is is exquisite. And my I'm meat, sure my homemade meatballs are I've just never tried it. I will tell you, my mom who passed away, and she's yeah. probably somewhat biased, although, you know, I think she was being honest as well. She said my meatballs were the best meatballs she'd ever have in her life. All right. Well, I'd, I'd love to it I'd out love, there. I'd love to try them. All right. Right. right real quickly, before we get out of here, one last thing, our friend David Rosenberg over Rosenberg, Rosie. And this is kind of along those lines, not along the meatball line, but but what we were just talking about. So in, this morning in his note, he said the leading earnings and economic indicators continue to flash warning signs ahead, meaning that these bear market rallies are not to be rented and not owned. The rising prospect of a very prolonged war in Europe is un, unlikely to offset macro impacts from the pent up demand set to be unleashed from China's uh, reopening. I think that last point, guy, is really important. We've talked about that a little bit. And, and again, you know, might they kind of cancel each other? out and then if the u.s were to go into a recession europe was going to go into a recession we might find ourselves you know in a situation that feels a bit stagflationary even though a lot of those inflationary inputs are coming down the dollars come down rates have come down but even if we are at levels very elevated you know to let's say in yields you know what i mean year over year that sort of thing and we still have some prices that um are still elevated we still have wage inflation i mean that's the other point that has not moved at all so just quick thoughts on that and let's get out of here we have an uh, important it, announcement also guys. you know flashing red you know when you see people again these are not dogmatic people i mean these these are individuals excuse me that take in the information dissect it analyze it synthesize it then come up with their conclusions so you know, people will say Rosie's always negative. It's again, that's just not true. The same way that Marco being bullish is not true. And Mike Wilson could not be more down the middle. And again, he reiterated his bear stance yesterday for all of these same reasons. You know, the reasons that Rosie points out here, this is not an easy situation to extricate oneself from extricates oneself in this case being the federal reserve. And there's just a lot, in my opinion, there's more pain. If this was, let's put it this way. If the, if the peak pain we felt was that move in October in the equity market, given the largesse over the last 12 years, then that sort of opens the floodgates for Fed policies to be as basically as, as reckless as they've ever been before because there are no ancillary or knockoff effects. I just don't think that can be the case. I mean, the economics books that I read, at least, don't lend themselves to that type of outcome, Dan. Fair enough. All right. This is really important. We're going to keep reminding our market call viewers to do this. And if you're on here right now and you're listening to this right now, we have February 8th. We are with our very fine partners, Fact Set, um, at 11 a.m. Eastern. Guy and I are going to host some of their experts for a 2023 outlook. We are going to look at earnings, energy, and ESG. We're going to be joined by the man himself, guys, say it. Just say it. I, know. Butters. I mean, I, hear, hear the way I just said it in like in yeah. hushed tones, yeah. butters. I mean, yeah. that's because well, you don't have to say it. And it's like, it's like sting. 
Yeah, well, so that 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 is John Butters. He's the senior earnings insight analyst who was on our fine program market call uh, not too long ago. We're going to be joined by Matthew Haggerty, Eli Reisman. Um, so that's going to be a live stream. To get that live stream, please go to riskreversal.com slash FactSet 2023, and you will get the link. All you have to do is kind of put your name in there. So please do that. We want to see you there. Um, this is going to be a great conversation with three of FactSet's fantastic experts. So join us on February 8th, 11 a.m. That's riskreversal.com slash FactSet 2023. I'm looking on- forward to that. It's actually, you know, we did one a year or so ago. It was a great conversation. We got a lot of engagement on it. I'm looking yep. forward to this one as well. So please join tap what do you say tap the link or smash the link or that link just put your name in there smash the link and you're going to get the streaming link and you're going to join us on february 8th 11 a.m eastern thanks by the way nick's good win last night against cavaliers good cavalier team by the way the knicks got off the schneid they needed to do that at home they have not been good dan as you know um congratulations to scott Rowland getting into the uh, the hall of fame in baseball a lot of people don't think he's deserved i tell you what he flashed a leather third base i think he's a career 280 hitter I want to say he hit about 340-something dongs. I understand why people would be a bit exorcised of him getting in. I'm not. Watch the video of him breaking the news to his mother and father. You will shed a tear. Original six match tonight in Toronto. Uh, Rangers-Leafs. I'm looking forward to that, Dan. I know you are as well on a mm-hmm. Wednesday night. But that's it for Market Call. I want to obviously thank our audience. Thank you, Carter Braxtonworth. I want to thank FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. As we mentioned, Dan, we'll be back tomorrow, which will be Thursday with who? She's not here tomorrow, guys. So oh, what? Oh. <laughs> maybe we'll get us. Maybe we'll try oh, to find a special man. guest. We'll be five. back tomorrow. She ain't going to be with us. Yeah, Tough enough. toenails, people. But we'll, we'll right. make it fun regardless. We'll make it fun. All right. See you later, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. 